and welcome to the next episode of the Compete Waffle. My name's Alicia. I'm an advanced sports dietitian and co-founder of Compete Nutrition. Now, for those who have listened to the waffle before, you're about to find out that this episode is a little bit different to the norm. Usually, we might do um, a live Q&A that we host or we might do an expert session or an athlete interview. But this time around, we're being interviewed by the amazing Laura Grislak. Now, what how this came about was Laura approached us um, for a live Q&A on her Instagram feed after getting lots of nutrition-based questions from her followers. And we were so honored to be a part of that. Laura has been someone that we have really respected for a long time for the main reason that she shares a very raw and real personal story. Um, she's been through a lot of life events that has really allowed her to build a resilience, um, but in many ways pulled at our heartstrings as she went through that. Uh, and her honesty throughout this whole process is something that I think is very rare uh, in social media in particular. And very appreciated for that reason. And so when she sent these um, questions through, it really made it I guess highlighted the need for us to be present, but not just in a scientific space of our knowledge, but also in an empowerment space of hopefully building the confidence of people when it came to, comes to food choices. Uh, she did a poll that had that we'll talk about in this episode that really shone through um, how people are feeling about nutrition day to day, uh, how much pressure they can sometimes feel, and also how much confusion they can feel. So the questions are really around that. Um, we talk a lot about things like being aware of diet culture, how to build our confidence around food, how to work through what nutrition is right for us, and also in how we can define performance for ourselves. And that performance doesn't always mean a sports and athletic performance, but it can be what we can achieve and what we can um, reach for in terms of our human potential in our day-to-day -day lives. So um, lots of really cool discussions in this. I'm so, so honored that Laura agreed to have it um, released as a podcast from the recording. Um, because a lot of the discussion pieces are something that I'm really excited to share with the wider audience. So without further ado, um, you will hear a lot of Laura within this podcast, along with myself having lots of big chats. I hope you enjoy it. If you wanted to follow Laura's journey along, her um, Instagram account handle is lovelauramay uh, and you'll see lots of beautiful messages uh, and photos along with that in her feed. Uh, and for us, we are at compete, C-O-M-P-E-A-T underscore nutrition. So really excited to um, share this journey and also this chat with you. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Sorry, I've got my head. <laughs> First Instagram live. I'm a bit nervous, even though I find it every day anyway. Yeah. But see me looking off to the side, it's because I've got my notes there because I there are So for those who I haven't met, um, which is a lot of you, um, my name is Alicia. I'm also in Newcastle, um, so a new newy girl. And I, um, gosh me, I'm an advanced sports dietitian. Uh, so you might kind of see me or hear me and go, well, what has that got to do with me? Um, but a bit of background about what performance nutrition does. I'm the dietitian for the Matildas um, football team, uh, Australian football team, and that's 
a highlight of my job, but the big part about what we do is actually translating performance into everyone's life. So what I allow to happen is for you to determine what performance means to you. And I think that's where a lot of people go, performance dietitian, that's sport, I'm not an athlete. But if you think about what performance means to you, that's what we're all striving for. We're all striving to perform and be at our best. And that doesn't mean perfection, but it does hopefully mean progress. So whenever I'm working with someone, I allow them to define what um, performance means to them and that that definition can change so for example when I was doing Ironman triathlon my idea of performance was um, you know recovery was performance in training session and was getting to that key race in my best state now as a mum of three kids my idea of performance is just having the energy to actually be playful and present um, yeah. and as soon as I'm not that I know that I've missed something in my performance prep if you like so yeah, yeah, it's definitely adjusted and changed over time. Uh, and I think it's really important that everyone does take the time to realize that our definitions can be self-actualizing. So everyone has a different um, idea and that's where a performance dietitian plays a part basically. But um, when I'm not doing that, uh, we are a tech-based startup. So we're very aware that dietitians have a terrible brand. And I think that's something that... Um, has been our fault and also there are still some really shit things happening in our practice um but there's also some amazing practitioners around if you can find them um and so we're aiming to stop being the and our business is all about stopping to be the person that is seen as the food police or just tells you what to eat and then goes okay have a good time because as yeah. I said at the start, that's not what's going to empower you and that's not what's going to actually build confidence. Um, what's going to build confidence is actually having that safety net. So our tech platform is actually based around um, giving you the tools in the toolbox to help you achieve your change, but being that safety net at all times. So your dietitian is always there for you through that tech. So that's been a really fun revolution. Um, we've got a lot still to work on, but yeah, that's my other part of the role is in that tech space. So what you mean by that, by the yeah. tech side of things, yeah. is that the old model is sort of like book an appointment, like get a referral, mm. book an appointment, yeah. go and see the dietitian. They'll give you a shitty As we saw. My sister got um, when she yeah. went to someone to see them about PCOS and yeah. had some pretty old, outdated guidelines mm. on it. Um, yeah. And then they just send you on your merry way and yeah. that's kind of it. But your model is... Um, with the tech side of things, people mm. have like a platform online that they can check in with you mm. like as often as they like. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the big thing about um, nutrition is that it's a really big part of our daily habits, as you know, you found out on your own journey as well. Um, and so it's really important that you know that being told what to do is very different to learning how to do it and how to integrate yes. it into your own life. And if yep. it's even relevant to your own life, right? Like, is it actually right for you? So it's really important that you don't just see a little factoid or a little piece of information of like, oh, you know, you need to eat more protein and go, well, that's great. But I don't actually know what that looks like for me. And I don't know how to achieve that. They might not even know how to cook protein. So yep. how can we take it back to basics and allow that journey of knowledge, but also empowering them to make changes happen? And that's where that um, ongoing thing um, continuous journey is but anyway enough about me let's get into these amazing <laughs> questions <laughs> yeah all right so i just wanted to um 
kickstart the conversation mm. by just discussing there was a poll that I did yeah. on the Stephen stories. And although not surprising to me, um, a couple of the results were, yeah, a little bit sad. Um, 89% of people who answered the poll said that they feel confused by all of the contradictory info out there. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to, yeah, share my thoughts on the stories that I've been sharing the last week. Mm. Um, what I've found is that people seem to have been relieved um, to see that a week's worth of food and what I consider to be healthy food is basic, yeah. simple, mm. hearty, like not complicated. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a misconception out there that healthy living is really strict and restrictive, mm. um, can be uptight, it has to be fancy, um, expensive, mm. boring, like mm. tasteless, etc. Yeah. So can you speak for that for a second? Mm. And um, yeah, just help us understand what a healthy diet looks like for the general person. Like, is it as complicated as we think it is? Um, or as overwhelming as it seems, mm. or is it, yeah, um, like a little bit more basic? Yeah, I really like that question. And, um, yeah, I, I want, I'm so glad you're expanding on those polls because even though it might be just a small little snippet of the population, it actually sums up what we've realised over the years of being yeah. practitioners and particularly our purpose in Compete is um, alleviating that. And it took me by surprise when I first started hearing these types of things come in because I always thought, okay, well, as a dietitian, we're um, treating a condition or we're aiming for high end. But one of the biggest barriers to making changes was that confusion piece. So all of a sudden we've got so much access to information. Everyone has an opinion, of course, because we all eat. And so we're getting thrown all these different pieces of information and I, I want to first of all say it's always in really good intention. Like there's always such important, amazing intention with the information that we're provided. But when we're hearing completely conflicting um, advice points from practitioners, doctors, influencers, friends, family, there's a really high pressure. And so I get um, a lot of people coming in and going, I honestly have no effing idea how to eat anymore. Like, and to, for us have, to have got to that point where we're that confused that we actually don't know how to eat and nourish and trust our bodies is probably the most upsetting part about um, what I do, but it's also the most enjoyable part once we've resolved that. Um, yeah. Um, and that's, that's probably a really big piece to, first of all, say you're not alone, I think. When it comes to all the different pieces of advice, I think the most important thing to really take that on is Absolutely. First of all, acknowledging that it's always with good intention. The second piece is always to filter. Uh, and the reason for that is, is that everyone's values, beliefs and bodies are very, very individual. So what works with one person isn't necessarily going to be the right fit for you. So, um, you know, a great example there is like, say that high fat, low carb, Laura, where you trialed that and you were like, whoa, that did not feel right or I really struggled in pieces there. Um, whereas other people might be like, this has been amazing, life-changing, I feel incredible, I am on board. Yeah. And so it's really confusing to go, well, I don't know what to do there. Like do I follow this person who swears by it or do I actually acknowledge that it's not working for me? And so there's no right or wrong in nutrition and there's no um, 
I guess, perfect nutrition way of eating. So it might surprise a lot of you that people who we work with um, all eat very differently. So we've got some people who are intermittent fasting. We've got some who are on keto. We've got some who are um, on very high carb diets. We've got, you know, like it's all very, very different. And all that matters is, is that we're always progressing to a different place and a better place to what we were doing previously. So for some people, there's some really big changes to make but we always start small. And I really encourage you um, when you're thinking about what we need to do to make changes is to consider what's possible for you. So I think one thing that is so overwhelming that it feels really big and really hard, and I think that's where a lot of your followers have resonated, Laura, is realizing that maybe it isn't as big or as hard as they realized, but also considering what they feel is uh, achievable right now. And I don't think I think this is a really right time to have this conversation because we need to be forgiving of where we are right now and what we can change and what we actually have the energy to change um, as well. Like we might be like, but I'm at home more. Like there's no excuse. I should be doing better or I could be doing better. But we've got to have that discussion of like, what do I feel confident in being able to achieve? So every time I'm trying to make a change with someone, we're having that conversation of like, say, for example, yesterday I was talking to one of our clients and his big need is increasing his veggies and salads. So um, I was like, okay, can we aim for say a third of a plate of veggies at um, lunch more days a week? Like just a really basic goal. He's like, oh, I could do that. But I'm like, no, you hesitated. Let's go back a step. Let's aim for some veggies at lunch. And he's like, I could do that. I was like, excellent. So you've got to find where you're feeling confident. And change shouldn't feel like this big friction every day. So if you think about a certain type of fad diet, like say we've jumped in and gone detox diet or say we've jumped in and done a juice cleanse or whatever it may be, this is so challenging to sustain because it's changed every single meal and every single snack that we'd have per day. And so every time we're invited to socialize, every time we're at something like to celebrate, there's this friction that actually stops us from achieving our goals. And we feel like as soon as we have that cake or as soon as we have that meal out, we failed. But that's not you failing. That's the diet or the way of eating that was telling you that's the rules failing you. So if I think that's where a lot of that guilt happens too because that guilt um, stat was huge as well. Yeah, so what was that? that I think was it was about 80. 70, 77% yeah. of yeah. people feel associated with hmm. what they eat and that's... Like you can, like we eat all the time. Yeah, yeah. All day, every day. So imagine yeah. feeling that much guilt mm. all the time. I mean, I've certainly felt it in the mm. past, especially when mm. I was pregnant, actually. Um, and yeah, that's a lot, a burden to carry. Yeah. Like it's a heavy burden. So yeah. 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 I it's really that, fatiguing. Yeah. That confidence is key. And yeah, mm. I do think that, like you said, it's the diet that's failing you, not mm. you. Mm. Absolutely. And I think the big thing there to remember is, is that it's our relationship with food that needs to be healed before we make sustainable change. So if yeah. we're not actually thinking about that relationship with food, that confidence, um, that knowledge piece of feeling empowered when you eat, you're not actually going to be able to make these really systemic changes long-term to your overall health and well-being. So um, if we can't get to that point of, say, this this might surprise people, right? So when I'm working with even an elite athlete, we're actually aiming for well-being to achieve performance. 
We don't yeah. leap straight to performance. So we can't achieve everything to do with their performance, whether that be on the pitch, whether that be in the, a race or in training. We can't achieve that until they're actually in a place of well-being in terms of feeling very flexible with the nutrition, confident, uh, and really um, in a place of like going, I'm eating for a a really set purpose but in a really positive way so food isn't something that has morality um yeah yeah so because yeah. it's true like mm. when you talk about performance mm. and and the well-being that it takes in order to get to that performance goal like a lot of it is mental strength mm. as well so like if if you're focusing on more of the well-being journey mm. the performance outcome will come with that yeah. instead yeah. of focusing on the performance of like me for example yeah. recently my goal was like I need more sleep I need more yeah. energy I can't function as a human being like, yeah. yeah and I was so focused on that one thing that mm. I just it just seemed so unachievable for me whereas if I yeah. like you said focused on more of the well-being mm. in the day-to-day it would come yes yeah because i think a lot of the time yeah say say sleep or weight loss for example it's thought of as a behavior but that's not that's an outcome so improved sleep better mood um, weight loss whatever your goals may be they're an outcome they're not a behavior so we don't live to lose weight we might live with the um you know goal that we do lose weight and that's okay it's okay to have a weight loss goal but living in that way isn't going to actually attain that goal long-term. It's going to suck. Um, And it's not going to actually acknowledge that you are more than what you weigh. So you need to be present. You need to have a really good mood. You need to sleep well. You need to wake up with energy. Um, You know, you could be losing weight, but you feel awful. You have no, um, you know, low low libido, low mood, um, lacking confidence. And so what's the point there? And what's your why? You know, so I think that's what we always need to come back to is actually that why of, you know, if someone comes to me and goes, I want to um, increase my weight by four kilos, I want to put on four kilos of muscle mass, I'll always come back to that's okay, let's just leave that there for a second and let's explore the why behind that. What does that mean to you? What's that going to achieve? Uh, because that why is what will then allow you to decide what habits you need to do each day to achieve that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay, um, so I just want to talk about like, going back to the contradictory info mm. and why it's overwhelming for people because yeah. you can go to like the GP and they might mm. still be working on the model, which I don't even know what the model is. These it's probably days, part of the so issue, yeah. <laughs> I have, I do proceed intuitively now yeah. instead of going off a model or a diet, um, mm. but they might go to the GP and the GP might be giving them information on the food pyramid, mm. which is, I think, grain, very grain-specific, um, carbohydrates, lots of carbohydrates. Um, but then you've got someone like me on Instagram who isn't a professional, but I'm talking about having butter mm. in my coffee and not having carbs in the morning. Yeah. So on top of that, there's all the diet trends like keto and vegan and all of these mm. different things. Um, And I think what's enticing and seducing about diet trends is that there are guidelines and I Mm -hmm. think that when people are lost or feeling overwhelmed, they need rules and they need structure and 
So I think that's why people are led to those type of trends. Mm. Um, but I think that healthy eating or eating intuitively isn't very sexy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what are the dangers of this mm. mentality, this one-size-fits-all approach, and how can, how can people feel more confident finding correct information for them specifically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, first, I don't think we can have this discussion without first recognizing our need for control. So this is all like, and I think you touched on it perfectly, is that food is not always about food. Um, rules can feel very safe um, and you feel in control, but it's whether you feel empowered by those rules. So do you do those rules allow you to only have say one tool in the toolbox to achieving your said goal or outcome and if there's no flexibility within that if there's a a rule set that then leads to guilt that's when we know that that balance is wrong so intuitive eating and as you would have found out um intuitive eating isn't about just going gang-ho on all the foods it's not about eating like just all junk food ultra processed foods and going how good's intuitive eating intuitive yeah 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 how could there's no diet intuitive intuitive eating is instead actually acknowledging that we are here to perform and be at our best and if we eat according to how our body feels and we learn when we feel good um and when we actually get some really positive feedback from the food we eat we're going to make better food choices than if we're making our food choices around rules or um, things that make us feel guilty. So I think that like a a really just easy concept that was um, brought up by a book a long time ago is that line of I can absolutely eat such and such, but do I actually want that? And so say there are biscuits in a barrel at your office at work. Those biscuits in a barrel are absolutely able to be eaten. Like that, that's that whole discovery piece of going, you know what, I am completely okay and allowed to eat those biscuits, but is that actually what I want right now and is that what's going to nourish me for what I want to achieve later? Because I think at the end of the day, that short-term moment, the decision to, say, choose those biscuits might be the right one. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I've had a really shit morning, I feel bad, I need some energy, just give me whatever, but then in the long term, that may not actually reflect where you want to be and how you want to feel. So it's about kind of learning yeah. and, and exploring that and getting to a point where yeah. all these habits that you form are literally autopilot. Um, and, you know, as you found out, the, all those habits that you've got in terms of how, what food you've got available in the house and um, yeah. how you're prepping each week fit in, but that's not going yeah. to always be the same as what would work with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to speak to that for a second mm. because I, I, I think this is a really good example. Um, so when I was pregnant, my blood sugar would get really low yeah. um, really quite quickly because mm. I had low iron as well. And, mm. I know, just it's a good time. <laughs> um, and so, for example, we would go out of the morning and we would go to the beach and we'd go for an exercise walk. And uh, on the way home, it would like hit me like Mm. this adrenal fatigue would hit me like a ton of bricks and I'd get really low blood sugar Mm. we'd pull into Macca's and I'd get a coke Mm. I'm pretty healthy I have a pretty healthy diet but that coke and that 
cheeseburger was absolutely necessary for that moment. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It was a really strategic way mm. to make sure that my blood sugar didn't crash anymore. Yeah. And I got home and my first pregnancy, I would be super paranoid about eating something like that. Mm. But my second pregnancy, I was like, my body needs this. It's yeah. not nutritionally dense. Mm. Of course, it's not the perfect option. If I was mm. at home right now, I would eat X. Yeah. But there was no guilt associated with it. Mm. And I think James made a really good point about yeah. that is that the stress that I would put myself under for eating that type of food in my first pregnancy was worse than the actual food yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And I, like, I was just so relieved when he would say those types of things to mm. me and give me that type of support because yeah. I was like, yes, all the coke, all the macas. Yeah. But it was just for that time. It was mm. just a really strategic way of handling that situation. Yeah. And that is intuitive eating. That's a part of intuitive eating, I think. Mm. Yeah, and it's getting to a point where, like, and you can kind of just self-assess here with this statement. It's getting to a point where you can say eat a piece of cake and have no second thoughts around that. It is literally just cake. It is food that fits into your diet. You can enjoy, you can have without guilt, and it's just part of your eating um, it has no yes or no or right or wrong and it's not something that you eat cake and then go, oh, I'm going to have to run extra tomorrow or I'm not going to be able to eat breakfast in the morning or I'll just have a salad for dinner. It's not that compensatory behavior. It's not that yeah. guilt around, oh, I've done the wrong thing or I'm bad for this or I'm going to have to compensate somewhere um, for doing this behavior and it's leaving that behind. But Getting to that point takes a lot of time. And so be really curious with those thoughts and be okay with having those thoughts and just having a moment to really comprehend that this is how I'm feeling. But also just don't be judgmental of that because this is from years of diet industry. Like we have diet messages coming at us all the time. Like it, they're, they're invisible a lot of the time. And so many of our behaviours, whether they be even that clean eating side of things, are... Uh, disguised um, a lot of the time as healthy um, but an example of that is it can actually go the wrong way where you're not you're undernourishing your body you've got um, a menstrual function that is um, ceased or paused in your menses like you know if we're not listening to our body and we're always covering rules that aren't allowing us to be going out socializing or eating at someone else's house because we can't control that or panicking if we can't track something that we're eating accurately, if those types of feelings are coming up and you're feeling anxiety or um, concern around them, then be okay with that. But also understand that you might need some additional tools in your toolbox and some coaching around how to overcome that to realize um, your food freedom and your ability to achieve well-being without those feelings around food. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, so... I guess the the question has been answered, but mm. like, I feel like because people do love guidelines, yeah, is there mm. a general guideline for the general population mm. on what is healthy, mm. or is it really just a matter of like what we've been discussing? You can't really generalize it because it can be complex and it is highly individualized. Mm. So, yeah, is there a general guideline that is healthy for most people? 
Yeah, yeah, there's definitely um, habits and ways of eating that we always aim for, if you like, like a base nutrition. Um, But what that looks like and how that progresses will be individual. So that's probably where that individualization comes from. I think at the end of the day, the thing that's done wrong is that we're always focusing on what we need to remove or restrict. Instead, I want people to flip that and go, what do I need to add in? You know, because as soon as we start crowding our plates with fresh food, veggies, salad, as soon as we start adding in quality proteins, that's plant-based or um, animal-based, whatever you feel or, and definitely a combination is absolutely key. Um, and then whether it's adding in, um, you know, better quality grains, whether it's adding in a snack, if you feel like you're getting to um, meal times and really struggling to be in control of what you're eating, you know, the, I think the way that we need to see it is what do I need to add in for better health rather than what do I need to remove for better health? Yeah. I think that's a really good point because when you add in more good stuff, mm. it crowds out the yeah. quote-unquote bad stuff yeah. naturally. Yeah, yeah. You, um, you don't actually feel restricted and you don't feel like you're on a diet or you don't feel like you're going yeah. without because yeah. you, you're you're feeling full, you're satisfied, you're getting full yeah. plates and nourished and your energy levels are increasing, your sleep's improving, um, your mood's feeling better and that motivation just carries on. So we like to see these habits as kind of that snowball that just builds over time. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions. We've yeah. got about half an hour left, but I don't want to walk long too much. <laughs> I, I tend to do that. I just oh, thank you, guys. All those likes and loves helps with the algorithm too, so any of those are excellent. <laughs> that is what I've learned. Um, okay, so I just want to talk about a couple of things that um, the followers have asked mm. about. Yep. Yeah. What are some foods that support um female hormonal Mm. balance yeah yeah this is a really big question because hormones are is just a huge topic so there's a lot of hormones involved with our lives um Uh one thing i think that gets overlooked because we kind of niche into um little areas of food is that we need adequate energy available so this is like I'm going to go kind of base up if you like. I'm going to build I'm going to build a um, mountain. So if you don't have the base of that mountain, you're going to really struggle. So one of the most important things I want to repeat because we are mostly probably females on this call uh, are yeah. that um, we can't have a really well functioning um, hormone and endocrine system without the energy available to do so. So what we're really looking at is making sure that, number one, can we stop eating below our resting metabolic rate? This is my number one thing that I cannot stand seeing people do to themselves, and it's not even our fault. Yeah. I can hear it. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. So our resting metabolic rate is how much our body needs just to function if we were to sleep all day. So if we were just to lay down and sleep all day, I'm envisaging me in my first trimester of my third pregnancy. That was me. Like this is like minimum energy intake. If you were to sleep all day, this is your RMR, your resting metabolic rate. Now, a lot of fad diets around that 1,200 calorie mark are well below most individuals RMR. So when we're asking our body 
to eat less than what we need to sleep all day without considering us walking, going upstairs, chasing our kids, doing a walk, a run, a cycle, whatever you may be doing, you're asking it way too much. So yes, you will see a shift in weight, but that can be at a cost where we'll start moving less. So what we call your NEAT will reduce. So our body starts to go, oh, this is a little bit tricky. I'm going to adapt a little bit to help my body out here. You'll start, you know, fidgeting less. You'll, you'll, your face won't do as much motion. Um, you'll find it really hard just to even have the motivation to walk upstairs or um, walk from the car to the shops or whatever it may be. You start doing less activity to try and conserve energy. The other thing that can happen is that some of the body processes start to say dim. So let's just think of this as like a light dim switch. And one of those is our um, our um, reproductive system. So yeah. hormones again. So our um, hormone levels will reduce and our body goes, you know what? We don't have enough energy available to actually reproduce right now or hold a pregnancy. So let's just dim that switch a little bit. So we might see a shift in our menstrual cycle. The um, length of our cycle might lengthen or we might see a pause in our menses um, or we may not actually get a period in the case of some of the development athletes I work with. Um, so that's the number one thing. And this isn't something that's just held for athletes. This is something that's held yeah. for anyone who over time is a chronic dieter and we will see a shift in our metabolism as a result. Um, so that's number one in terms of our hormones is make sure you've got enough energy to live. <laughs> um, and that doesn't, yeah. Um, and then the next thing is making sure that Sorry. we're, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, go. You, do you know what, um, hmm. so for me, like I'm, and this is just for other people to get like a general base. Yeah. Um, I'm 60 kilos, I think. Hmm. So like, what would be my base? Yeah, um, it, most people are around, like, and this is like just a really rough kind of guide. Most females would be around that 1,400 to 1,600 calorie mark as a baseline, like minimum. Just, please, I just need 14, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so most <laughs> diets are actually below that. Um, so, yeah, they'll work. Like, you'll, you know, you'll lose weight, but they're going to come at a cost yeah. and they won't be sustainable for a really good reason. Yeah. yeah. So if you're kind of, yeah, and how you can know that this is happening to you is like, if you're like, gosh, that person eats a lot more than me and they're smaller than me or that person eats a lot and I couldn't possibly eat that, I would put on weight or I'm feeling really flat or my menstrual cycle's a little bit off or, um, you know, all these types of symptoms are like, hmm, I'm eating a low amount and my weight's not shifting. And if I increase my intake, even just to what my RMR should be, my weight's shifting. So these are all little questions to go, oh, maybe there's something going on. And I'm definitely not going to run into the individual side of that because there is a way to improve it, but definitely see a dietitian um, because it's healable, um, but you have to refeed um, and do that in a way that suits you and your goals and what you feel comfortable with. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. yeah. No, no, that's a really good question. It's a really important one. And I think it's probably not talked about enough. Um, and it can happen to males as well. <laughs> it's not just a female thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with that, that hormone piece, energy available. And then the next kind of pieces to the puzzles are like where we look at those macronutrients. So um, one thing I know you're passionate about, which is great, is that fat intake. Um, I think a long time there was this ridiculous uh, uh, dietitians. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> there was a low-fat movement um, for too long um, and 
that has been changed, thank goodness, uh, and fats are now included. The reason we need fats is they're part of every cell in our body. Um, they're also a really essential part of um, taking in and absorbing our fat-soluble vitamins, our A, D, E, and K. Um, and they're also a really critical part of our hormone or our endocrine system. Now, how much fat we need per day is very individual. Um, it's important that we get a wide range of fats. Um, it's kind of the ratio of our fat intake that tends to be the most health um, deciding, if you like. So if we're getting too much of one fat, then we definitely see an imbalance in that ratio. Um, so the types of fats that we aim for is the, the number one thing that we try and limit is what we call our ultra processed foods. So our ultra processed foods are not the same as processed foods. Processed foods can be quite healthy and included. And, you know, they're things like, you know, packaged foods or canned foods that yes, they're processed, but they still have a place. Ultra processed like foods. Oats. Yeah. What was that? Like oats? Yeah, exactly right. Like they're processed, but they still have a place. Um, whereas ultra processed are like things that you would find in like your deep fried options, your pastries, your um, commercial biscuits and all these types of things that were like, okay, well, these yeah. are things that we need to reduce while then allowing ourselves to have the fats that we need. Uh, and then additional to that are our carbohydrates. Um, one thing with the low fat, oh, sorry, low carb, high fat way of eating. One thing we've definitely seen is one, number one, it's not well researched yet. There's research going on, but we're not quite at the point of knowing what it's like long-term and the health impacts long-term. We simply don't know. Like it's not even that it's good or bad. It's just we don't have no idea. Um, but one thing we do see definitely in the female side of things is that we do see an imbalance of hormones and an impact on hormones that we don't necessarily see in the males. So um, being intuitive with how you feel is really important and allowing carbohydrate in is really important um, if it's how you feel good. And we definitely see an imbalance there um, with the females more than males, more than anything. So um, carbohydrates, uh, like our ideal there is, you know, those low process, lots of fruits, veggies, grains, like it's, you know, I, I think the healthy food way of eating, like in terms of the guide to healthy eating gets a really bad rap. Um, but I think that's mainly because no one actually follows it and has given it an opportunity. I think if most of us followed the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating and a lot of us actually, you know, try to, we'd actually be doing pretty well as a population. As an astounding stat, 93% of us don't get enough fruit and veggies each day. Like, yeah. so even if that was just one thing we all changed and all aimed for, as a population, we would be doing a lot better job. And that's not going against the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating. I think the problem with the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating is luckily we're out of that pyramid now and we're in a plate model. So it's really about, okay. yeah, but, you know, this is part of the issue. Like it, people don't know and we haven't seen updates and the updates yeah, aren't well, yeah, like it's ridiculous. So um, having that wide variety is really important. Uh, and then the protein side of things. Protein is like one of those things, particularly for sleep, muscle protein synthesis, hormones that we need. Now, not many of us actually do like, well, actually most of us will have enough protein per day pretty easily without actually having any supplements or shakes or anything like that. Most of us will get enough in our food. Um, the most things that we don't do well is spread it out evenly over the day. So we might have like one big bolus of protein and we'll definitely utilize that protein quite well if we have a big amount of it. 
but it won't be as well used as if we were to like spread it out a little bit more evenly over the day, whether that be two or three meals over the day or six meals over the day. It's very individual. Like some people are snackers and some people are meal people um, and it can be a combination and that's okay as well. Yeah. So they're like the big ones. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of BS supplements on the market around hormones. Um, but focus on the basics first um, and yes. really ensure that you're kind of crossing off that base before you then um, go up into the other ones because marketing is very powerful uh, and the supplement industry is very successful for a really big reason. But, um, yeah, this is really important. I was going to say something about mm. that. Like I often people sometimes ask me, like, mm. um, what supplements do you yeah. take and that sort of thing. Mm. And um, I just say... Well, I just think anyways that if you shouldn't really need supplements if you're mm. um if you do have like a balanced mm. diet. So do that first and then if you want to enhance your performance, whatever that mm. performance mm. looks like for you, then start to think about supplements. Mm. Um but there's no kind of it's kind of a waste of money unless you've got the like you said, that base of the mountain, the foundation. Mm. Um, is there mm. and, and think of supplements like the only other place we would use supplements is for convenience so say you're someone who's always on the run um, you're going from training to um, work or you haven't had time to prepare your breakfast or whatever it may be people's lives are crazy um, we're at home a little bit more at the moment but um, that convenience piece is something else like if the option otherwise would be to either like miss that meal or not prepare your next meal or um, have a worse option, then supplements can be really handy. But there's very few with good evidence. So really make sure you're asking the right questions. Um, They can sound really scientific without actually having much backing at all. Um, So, yeah, Yeah. feel free to DM me anytime. Like I can definitely help with any of that. Yeah. Just take your take a photo. Yeah, yeah. What's this? And my answer will probably be like no. (laughs) Yeah, if in doubt, don't take it. Okay, so basically, just to recap on female Mm. hormones, um, fat is important, but Mm. they're not all created equal. Mm. Um, protein is important. Um, carbs are still important. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's probably the big piece. I think a lot of people fear carbs. Oops, sorry, sorry. My mum called. <laughs> um, a lot of people um, fear carbohydrates. Um, that's probably something we should cover. Um, there is this association that carbs equals weight gain or carbs will equal fat mass gain or whatever it may be. Um, it's simply not true. And we need carbohydrates to um, function well. And I think a lot of us will find that. And even when you're seeing like high fat, low carb, the definition of that is really, really extreme low carb. Like it's extreme and really, really hard to actually follow. Um, so most people will still be having carbohydrate even if they're following high fat. Um, so yeah. that's one point to really make sure where I kind of delve down into. Um, but also carbohydrate, I think the main thing is is that we a lot of us do overconsume carbohydrate um, yeah. for how much activity do we do per day. So if we were just one who say, like for me today, I'm sitting down at a desk all day. My needs for carbohydrate are much lower than if I was to go out and do one, two hours of exercise or whatever it may be. 
Um, yeah. So if we're just sitting down all day, the energy that we need is very much just um, the fats and carbohydrates that are running around in our blood glucose, like, and oh, sorry, our bloodstream, sorry, that was the wrong terminology. Um, but as soon as we start to bump up our heart rate, and we start to run or swim or ride, whatever it may be, we start to dip into our muscle carbohydrate stores. And so that's when our need for carbohydrate can increase. Uh, and we need to start thinking about how to replace that. So um, in the athlete, we actually have days where we are very low carbohydrate and days that we're high carbohydrate. And we periodize that depending on what their needs are at the time of their training block, but also at um, the day and what they need for that session. So really acknowledging that your needs change each day and Reflecting your intake according to your movement is something that we can all do. Yeah. And so can you, because I've been um, telling everyone to eat oats before yeah. they go to bed. Yeah. So that's what I do nice. for me. Yeah. Um, sleep. Mm. And so that one of the myths that I put up um, mm. for people to send through that they wanted busted was, yeah, like, aren't we supposed to restrict our carbs after 7, 6, oh, 7 o'clock? Yeah. Like, yeah. Is that, is that true? Like, <laughs> no. No. So, yeah, this is a weird one, this whole, like, can't eat after seven rule. The main... Yeah, so so the um, thing that's happening there is actually the um, serotonin release. Um, so um, carbohydrates can be a really important um, trigger to that happening in the brain. So um, eating a well-balanced diet um, has a really big place not only on weight, and I think that gets all the attention, it has a really big impact on our mood. If you're thinking about like our cortisol, our stress hormone, our um, serotonin, our calm hormone, all these types of things things they really rely on food and so food and mood is getting a bit of a time which is at the moment which is excellent um but yeah. no so i think one reason why that don't eat after 7 p.m got so much airtime is that because the focus is always on weight people were losing weight but the reason for that is is when do we most likely eat ice cream and chocolate and cookies when do we most likely binge on foods because we're feeling emotional or tired and most of the time it's after 7 p.m so if all of a sudden we cut off that time point it's not that that food after that point is going to be bad for our health it's that we've all of a sudden reduced our overall energy intake yeah so we need to take that food and weight relationship away for a second and actually go, you know what, I need to trust my appetite here. And I saw one question was like, oh, I'm pregnant at the moment and not eating after seven's killing me. I'm like, ah, eat, please. <laughs> um, oh so trusting God. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or when you're breastfeeding, like, man, it's like, oh, I, I felt like I was eating when I was the same as when I was Ironman training. Um Oh, like Nick's just gone also binge while watching The Notebook. See, emotional eating. I think this this is a really big thing. Like emotional eating is seen as this negative, like, oh, I'm emotional eating or emotional eating again. And I think the big thing we need to consider here, particularly at the time that we're in at the moment, is that this is a really normal coping mechanism. But if it's your only tool in the toolbox to cope with high emotion, that's when we want to really explore that and really knuckle down yeah. into coping and giving you some extra tools. But if it's just one of the many things that we use to make ourselves feel better, it's totally normal. Uh, and it's associated with so many good feels and it's very, very normal. The one time that we start to go, okay, what is that? Is that a binge episode? Is when you feel really out of control. So 
a binge episode isn't actually defined by how much you eat. It's how you feel around that episode. So am I feeling out of control? Do I feel extremely guilty? Can I, can I not stop? And is the amount of food I'm eating really different to what I would normally eat in a day? So that's when we're like, that's not emotional eating. That's a binge eating episode that requires professional guidance. And it is absolutely one of the key things that we can resolve. But we need to start by that well-being piece and allowing us to remove that restriction mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So you would say like um, basically let the guilt guide you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like if you if you do have that those feelings around that food intake, say for some people, like for example, you might sit down at the end of a day and go, Oh man, what what a day. I am having ice cream with chocolate and it is going to be exactly what my heart needs and mind needs right now. And you'll just eat yeah. that ice cream and it'll just be like, done, amazing. That was yeah. that's emotional eating. That's a form of Exactly right. If you are going, I need to just get rid of these feelings that I'm feeling right now and food is going to resolve that even just in the short term and you're eating to hide feelings and those feelings around that eating episode are high anxiety, very guilty, very out of control uh, and lots of compensatory behavior afterwards or that feeling of failure then we need to explore it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, so I've got 10 minutes left. Feel yeah. like I could just... <laughs> I can come back. It's fine, anytime. <laughs> um, I just want to touch on... Um, okay, we've spoken about that. All right, so basically to finish off, so mm. in my polls, I... Uh, overwhelmed and mm. that they don't know where to start. Oh, yeah. So where do people start? If people mm. feel like they're mm. ready to improve their health, mm. like what's the first step? Yeah. I think to delve into this one, first of all, it's okay if you don't feel ready. Um, they're like particularly at this time, there's going to be a lot of people that just feel like they're surviving and that's okay. If you're getting out of bed, if you're getting dressed, you know, these are going to be wins that we're just like, just do that. You know, you won today. Well done. Um, and then there's going to be others that are like, I've got a bit of extra time here or I'm at home a little bit. I reckon there's some things I can start to improve ready to for when I'm, that time changes again when I'm out more. And if you're in that stage yeah. of just contemplating change but literally feeling overwhelmed at like where to start with what you've got, just take a moment to actually just find one or two key things that you feel really confident in changing. So my the, okay. the biggest thing that I repeat – it's probably too much, is that when we try and change everything at once, we end up changing nothing long-term. So if you start yeah. a fad that is like humans are really lazy in, and I want you to listen to that really positively. We need to make change really easy for ourselves because as humans, yeah. we want to save energy and we want to conserve. Um, and that's okay. Just recognize it and just go, okay, I am that. Let's just do that. So if there's a behavior change that is this high friction piece every single day or every time during the day that we try and do it, it's just not going to be something that's sustainable. Like if you're eating a food that you don't enjoy or that you can't cook or that feels like it's a real pain in the neck to prepare, that's not going yeah. to, you're not going to keep it. You're not going to stay there. You might stay there for a couple of weeks 
But over time, you're going to find that you just revert back to what you're doing. So my biggest recommendation is when you try and make change, start really small and make sure that you're rating that change like eight or nine out of 10 confidence. So say at the moment you're like, oh, my lunch is literally just the scraps off my kid's plate. I need to eat more to ensure that I'm feeling better in the afternoon or performing better in the afternoon, not hitting that slump. And then, you know, choosing all these different things that um, I know aren't really aligned to my values and what I want to achieve. Start there. So start at lunch, but don't go, I'm going to have this glorious salad every day (laughs) that's filled with all this nourishment. um, And then you don't like salad. So start really small and start with options that you enjoy and you make easy. So change needs to be simple. It needs to be obvious and it needs to be, feel really confident. So you might start with something like a frozen meal or a um, convenience meal. You might start with like an instant rice sachet with a um, steam fresh veggie pack and a can of tuna. Yeah. Um, you know, like those types of things are like, right, I am good. I can do that. Like everyone yeah. knows my recent struggle has been mm energy intake because yeah. I've just been running after thin and not looking after myself yeah. and so as soon as I started getting a home cooked meal service mm. which was very like it's that's a luxury thing for us mm. but my health changed like that because yeah. I opened the fridge I heated a meal up and it might have to make it and there mm. and I ate it and forced it yeah I didn't care what the nutrients were yeah it's just there yeah so that was a really easy goal for me or place to start so yeah yeah, that's a good point yeah yeah absolutely and really make sure that um you realize that it doesn't need to be the end point like that you can think of it like a bit of a chain so you might start there but then when you start to feel better and you start to get these positive reinforcements for that behavior change you're like oh eating lunch has really now led me to eat way better in the afternoon and i'm getting to nighttime still with high energy levels you're going to start to have this energy like that you're like oh I now want to cook or I have an interest in choosing something else or I want to start preparing my lunch. And so allow that to happen, but just allow those habits to build over time and don't just go gang-ho into something that's really complex, not enjoyable and not obvious to how you're currently living. So, you know, as a really simple example, like you can't just aim for perfection if your environment doesn't actually allow for that perfection to happen like if there's all these different foods say in your kitchen and there's none that actually reflect how you're wanting to eat you're not going to be able to do that and you're going to get to a point in time where you're overly hungry you're not unable to control what foods you have and I I say control in a real positive sense because I think a lot of us that is one of our key goals in food is to regain control and confidence yeah yeah okay well I feel like we're discussed a lot um, hope it's been helpful to everyone i just want to give you a bit of a plug and ask yeah. you so we we already know that you don't exclusively work with athletes you work on a performance basis so my yeah. performance will be different to an athlete's performance goals yeah. but you work with everyone um like where can people find you and yeah, seek your support. Oh, thank you. So we, we're very active on um, Instagram, um, which yeah. is here, um, but also on Facebook we share a lot and we do live Q&As every Thursday night. So um, tonight is on, you know, a certain topic. It's actually very poo-related tonight. So on gastrointestinal upset when you're running, so the urgency to poo. So it's a really interesting topic. It's not always poo-related, but I know as mums we can – appreciate that it's fine um but also we've got a podcast called the compete waffle 
Um, so lots of different topics there. Feel free to just scroll through our episodes and find anything that's relevant. Uh, and on our website, competenutrition.com, if you, if anything has resonated today and gone, Oh, I'd love to explore that. Or I'd love to just see what support looks like for me. Um, we have a free assessment. So we get back to you in person, um, and let you know, just some first steps. So really working through those first little one to two things that you might be able to focus on that are really achievable, but at least get that momentum started to then appreciate the next steps to change so that's the assessment piece um, that you can find first link on our website so it's super easy to find um but yeah that's us like we we just aim to um yeah as you said like becoming a performance dietitian made me a better dietitian because the focus changed from just you know you need to eat this or that to perform and be a person and a um, person that needs to reach their potential so yeah yeah oh thank you guys thanks next gen i've got oh so many comments to go through sorry everyone oh yeah you've been eating more donuts than ever <laughs> look uh, it's not surprising i think this is the thing like it's just this yeah absolutely and being really forgiving of that like just go you know what like at the moment there is a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and food is going to be a part of that. And so often food isn't about food. <laughs> like yeah. so much of my job is in counseling and psychology and behavior change and hardly any is on the signs. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's really hard for me to admit that because I've spent, well, like what I started studying in 2004. So I've been doing this for like 16 years and all these things that I've learned are irrelevant to most of my clients like it's not helpful for them to know all this science but it's needed for me to be able to be the best dietitian I am but the thing that makes a good dietitian I think is that they need to translate and they need to allow you to feel confident in making those changes um, and they need yeah. to give those changes in a way that actually is meaningful to you and your life and your beliefs around food um, and yeah. so if you're if you've like you know, if you're doubting yourself or if you need some guidance, that's where um, chatting to someone is really, really important because they just translate. They're, they're not there to judge or give a morality or tell you that you've been, you know, doing it wrong. It's like, all right, next steps. Let's go, What's going to make you feel better or what's going to make, help you achieve that outcome that you're aiming for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thanks, Alicia. I'm so Thank you. That was wonderful. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, if anyone wants to find any of my followers want to find Alicia, just go to Compete Nutrition Instagram and yeah, check out their website. Thank you everyone for joining. <laughs> Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Bye.